0: In 2001, the FDA rejected Herbitex's controversial uh, drug, or IM clone's controversial drug, Herbitex, and the stock price the next day went from $50 per share down to $10 per share. Thousands and thousands of people lost millions and millions and millions of dollars, except for just a handful of people. Uh, Let me tell you about one particular lady. She sold her stocks the day before it tanked, and uh, she ended up uh, having 4,000 shares. And by selling it, she actually profited $250,000. Now this lady happened to be friends with the CEO of the company who had warned her that this was coming. You may know her, her name is Martha Stewart. And this is the reason that she spent five months in prison and two years on probation because she had engaged in what's called insider trading. Insider trading is highly, highly illegal. You can't do it. You can't get information that the general public can't have and then use it for your own benefit. But yet that's exactly what she did. And see, what you need to understand this morning is this. Information is power, and when you have power, you can use that power then to secure your future. That's what she was doing. She had information that gave her power that other people didn't have, and then she used it to hopefully secure her financial future. Again, illegal. She spent time in prison for it. Insider trading. Now, I bring all that up because today we're continuing our series called The End. And in this series, we're going through the book of Revelation, and what I want you to understand is we're getting some insider trading here aren't we we're getting some information that most of the people in the world don't have they're not getting the understanding that you're getting and so we can use that power that information to secure our future this is pretty cool stuff you are just by reading through it and by hearing these messages you've got this information really really cool now, in case you haven't been with us, what we've been talking about throughout this series is that the book of Revelation was actually written by one of Jesus' followers. His name was John, and John was actually in prison himself. He was on the island of Patmos, which is in the, uh, uh, right off the western coast of Turkey. And he is this great, great follower of Jesus, and he wants to take the information that he's been given, this, this vision, and pass it back to the churches that he helped oversee. There's seven different churches but he can't just come right out and say it because the reason that he's in prison is there's this Roman emperor by the name of Domitian and he is persecuting the Christians. They're going through a very, very tough time. And so he needs to communicate back but he can't just come right out and say what he wants to say. So he has to speak to him in sort of a, a code. Things that they would go, oh, I, I know what he's talking about there. See what he was doing, he was actually going back to the Old Testament. He was pulling from these very obscure passages and he was writing in this, this code, and the Jews and the God-fearing Greece would go, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. I know exactly where, you know, they're reading between the lines a little bit. But the Romans, they would read this book of Revelation, or what we call the book of Revelation today. It was just a letter in that time. They would read this letter, and they go, this is just a bunch of nonsense. This doesn't make any bit of sense to me at all. And so they would just sort of let it go on. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to continue to decipher the code a little bit. And I want to talk to you about three different topics. The dragon, two beasts, and the number (laughs) 666. You're like, this is the week I've been waiting on. (laughs) The dragon, the two beasts, and 666. I want to show you an image here on the screen of Revelation chapter 12. John, he's describing what he's seeing and he says that he sees this woman, she's pregnant and she's standing on the moon. She is clothed in the rays of the sun. She has 12 stars around her head and there's this seven-headed, ten-horned dragon that is just waiting for her to give birth so that, she can, or that, so that the uh, dragon can devour the baby alive. This is weird. And then he goes on and he says this, Revelation chapter 12, verses uh, 7 to 9. Then, in other words, he just described all this. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called? The devil or? or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels and all of God's people said, no, not amen. (laughs) Not not amen. Don't you get it here? Satan was a safe distance away. And now he's been thrown down to the earth and he lives amongst us. He is here trying to wreak as much havoc on us As possible. And it says here that Satan is deceiving the world. So who is the dragon that John is talking about? Satan. You may want to circle that or underline that there in the verse. That is who the dragon is. Now, essentially, this this picture was John's sort of cartoon version. This red, seven-headed, ten-horned dragon. That's his cartoon version of Satan. We have a cartoon version of Satan, don't we? Don't we? What, what do we think? We, we think of the guy in the, the red jumpsuit. He's got the sort of the tail and the, the horns. And he's got his pitchfork. He's in hell, right? And it's sort of like he's the ruler of hell. He's sort of partying in hell, right? That, that's our cartoon version of it. But I think that that does a, a disservice because I don't think we realize how dangerous he is. Because we we think of him as a cartoon. But here's what you need to understand. Satan is very real. He's very organized. And he has a whole army of demons that want to kill you. They want to destroy you. They want to make your life miserable. Now here's something else you need to understand, though, about Satan. He's not omnipresent. What I mean by that is this. God is omnipresent, meaning that God can be everywhere all the time. It doesn't matter where you're at. God is there. He is omnipresent. Satan's not like that. Satan is like you and I. He can only be at one place at one time. Flip Wilson, uh, the comedian many years ago, had a a thing about, well, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And, And many of you, you blame Satan for a lot of things in your life. Oh, the devil made me do that. Look, He can only be one place at one time, and you're probably not important enough to him, all right, to to show up to to be, but what does he do? He sends his army, he sends his legion of demons to influence and bring evil onto the earth, and not only is there evil in the world, but then there's evil that, that gets into people. I mean, let me give you just a couple of examples. Hitler, Stalin, Jeffrey Dahmer, Timothy McVeigh, Ted Bundy, the terrorists of 9-11, the shooters at Columbine. Again, there's evil all around us, and these demonic forces are constantly at work trying to influence people in situations to create as much confusion and chaos and destruction as possible. Now, we, we read here that Satan got kicked out of heaven. And many times we think that, well, that happened like a long, long, long time ago. Like before Adam and Eve, that's when that happened. How many of you would have, in general, said, yeah, that happened before Adam and Eve? You would have thought that, right? In fact, I think that's what many people would teach is Well, yeah, even before Adam and Eve, he, he got kicked out of heaven. But that's not the truth. Now, Satan has always had access to the world. But when did he actually get kicked out? Well, John actually tells us that. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 to 11. It says, Then I heard a voice from heaven shout, Our God has shown his saving power, and his kingdom has come. God's God's own chosen one has shown his authority. Satan accused our people in the presence of God day and night. But now, and this is after what we just read, that he had gotten thrown out of heaven. It says, but now he has been thrown out. Our people defeated Satan because of what? Because of the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. When did Satan get kicked out of heaven? When Jesus died on the cross. He has always, again, had access to the earth. But, but think back to, you know, like, Job. What does it say that God was having a conversation one day with Satan in heaven? He's, God said, hey, have you ever considered my servant Job here? So they're there in heaven, they're having this, this conversation. And it was only after that then that Satan and his forces went and and sort of ruined Job's life in many ways. It's not until the death of Jesus on the cross that Satan gets thrown to the earth. He has no access to heaven any longer. And now that he's here, he lives on the earth, he is trying to use three weapons to destroy us. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Accusation. Accusation. Scripture tells us that that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. It's almost like our lives are are a courtroom setting. And God is the judge and, and Satan is the prosecuting attorney. Satan is always going to God. Did you see what he just did? Did you hear what she just said? Constantly pointing his finger at you, trying to get God mad at you, trying to get God to judge you. He is constantly saying, Here's what you did wrong. Here's what you thought wrong. Here's what you said wrong. Satan is always in your ear, isn't he? He's whispering. You're a liar. You're a cheat. You're an adulterer. You're full of pride. You're full of lust. You're full of envy. You're full of greed. This constant chatter in your ear, he is accusing you over and over and over again. But here's what you need to understand. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to be the leader of your life, you can say this to Satan. Satan, you're right, but that's who I was. I'm not that any longer. Jesus forgave me, and not only did he forgive me, he set me free from my sin. I used to be that person, but no more. Now I have Jesus' forgiveness. So you can't, you can't accuse me of those things any longer. So here's how I put it on your outline. Accusation is destroyed through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Listen, you are now a saint who sometimes accidentally sins, not a sinner trapped in the accusations of Satan any longer. Number two then, what's his second weapon? Deception. Deception. You know, Satan doesn't just like come right out and lie to you. He's too smart for that. And he knows that you're too smart for that. So what does he do? Well, he takes God's word and he just subtly twists it a little bit. He tells a lot of half-truths. Think back to Eve in the Garden of Eden. God had told her, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Key word being, do not eat. What does Satan do? He comes to her, and he says, did God really say not to touch that fruit? Did God really say that? And he gets her to start to question what he had said. Now, what did he actually say? Do not eat. But what does he say to her? Did he say not to touch it? He's like, look, I'm touching it. I'm okay. Okay. Go ahead, just reach out, touch it. You'll be all right. She's like, "Eh, I'm not sure. Look, it's not a big deal. Just touch it. She's like, okay. He's like, see, you didn't die. He said you'd die. You didn't die. Oh, and by the way, this fruit is really good to eat. You should try a piece. And she eats of it. And in that moment, she didn't physically die, but spiritually she died. And see, Satan does the exact same thing with you. He comes to you, and he he takes God's word, and he, he twists it around a little bit. He tries to convince you that God is a liar. Unfortunately, many times we fall for it. Satan tries to convince you that you'll be happier doing things His way rather than God's way. Now, again, he doesn't come right out and say that, but he puts little things out in front of you that tempt you. He tries to convince you that happiness is found in a bottle, happiness is found in somebody else's bed, happiness is found in working in a business way too many hours to the point that you're neglecting your family. What's Satan saying to you? Ah, just one drink won't hurt. You've got needs you've got need, it's not going to it's not going to matter if if you sleep with this person oh you, your family you want to be a good provider for them you want to take care of them so by working all these hours think of all the things you can buy for them all the while your family's falling apart satan tricks us he lies he takes the truth he twists it just enough that we bite of the fruit here's the thing and I've said this to you before when we do that when we buy into his lies sin is fun isn't it and as I said before if sin isn't fun for you you're doing it wrong Sin is fun for a short time. But listen, God will not be mocked. Your sin will find you out. And there will be consequences for your sin. Scripture says that you're going to reap what you sow. Every single sin. Short term, really, really good. Long term, really bad. it's going to have devastating consequences for your life that's why we can't buy into the deception that he tries to feed us but we, we read there in scripture that satan was defeated he was thrown out of heaven because of not only the blood of the lamb but by the word of the testimony of of god's people in other words the the very word of god and it's if you read God's Word, if you're listening to a sermon, if you're reading a devotional, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's a, a testimony that somebody's given of how Jesus changed your life. Anytime you're getting the Word of God in some way, what it will do is this. I put it on your outline. It will diminish. Deception is diminished through the Word of God. Now, notice I used the word diminished, not destroyed. And the reason I did that was for a, a particular reason. None of us will ever know all of God's Word. And even if we do know all of God's Word, there's still many times that we don't obey it. You've done that, right? There's been times that you knew that God's Word said, do not do this, or you should be doing this, but yet you didn't do it. So it's, it's diminished Anytime we are getting God's Word into our lives. But here's what I want to say. The more you know of God's Word, the less of a chance there is that he'll deceive you, that you'll buy into these, these twisted half-truths that he gives us. Number three, then, intimidation. You know, Satan and, and his demons, they know exactly where it is that you're weak. They know exactly what buttons to push in you. And They try to intimidate you. And Satan, in some ways, he's like the eighth-grade bully. You ever had the 8th grade bully before? Yeah. You remember what the, the bully would do? They would try to intimidate you. To, to exude some sort of power over you that, that they shouldn't have had, but, but yet that, that's what they're trying to do. And as somebody that, you know, I was, well, I still am small, but <laughs> I was like really, really small. I got bullied constantly when I was in school. You know, when it stopped when I stop letting it bother me. See, what happens with, with bullies is they, they get to this place where they're like, you know what? I get a sick like kick out of bullying these people. It's like a high for them. But if you don't let it bother you, they don't get that high. And so you, you resist them. Not physically resist them, but you just stand up to them. It's like, you know what? You can keep doing that. Doesn't bother me. And they keep trying to intimidate you. Doesn't bother me. I'm cool. You know what eventually happens? They stop bullying you, they go off to somebody else because, again, they want that, that sick kick that they get out of it. And again, Satan is trying to do the exact same thing with you he's trying to intimidate you, he's trying to exert power. Over you. No wonder James, the the brother of Jesus, says this in, in James chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Resist the devil and he will do what? He will run from you. This is pretty cool. You know, when it comes to temptation, we're told that we're to flee, we're to run from temptation. But when it comes to Satan himself, James says, No, no, no. Stand there. Resist him because he is going to be more afraid of you than you are of him. And the reason for that has nothing to do with you as far as how big and strong you are. It has to do with who lives in you. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of you. Don't you think Satan is afraid of Jesus? Sure he is. Well, The same spirit lives in you. And so when Satan sees you, he should be seeing Jesus. He's like, I'm good. I'm good. Yep, just gonna just gonna walk right away from this. But yet that's not how we treat Satan and his demons so many times, do we? What do we do? We cower in fear. We're afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. So here's what I put on your outline. Intimidation is defended against because of the seal of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week in Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. It says that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been sealed. You've been given a mark on your forehead of the Holy Spirit. And what I said to you last week was that, look you don't realize how important that seal is because there have been thousands and thousands of times in your life that Satan and his demons wanted to destroy you, but they came up against that seal. They saw that seal of the Holy Spirit and they're like, okay, this isn't somebody I want to mess with. There has been times that you've come within an inch of your life, but because that seal is there, Jesus has said, "Ah, ah, ah, don't you touch that one. They're one of mine. They are protected by me. And so again, intimidation is defended against because of the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now you're going, Gilbert, this is actually pretty cool. Because what you've said here today is that all of Satan's weapons have either been defeated, diminished, or they're easily defended against. But Gilbert, I've got a question for you. If that's the case, why do we still see so much pain and misery and trials and tribulations in the world? And the answer to that is found in Revelation chapter 13. It's there that we discover that Satan has a major influence on two human agencies here on the earth. Let's read about it in Revelation 13.1. John writes, Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns, with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were the names that blasphemed God. Now, if you are here last week, we were talking about numbers. Anybody remember what the number 10 represents? Anybody remember? It's the number of completion. It's the number of completion. Who remembers what horns represent? Anybody remember that? Yeah, somebody just said it power. So, 10 horns would represent what? Complete power. So, this beast has complete power says that it has these seven heads. Who remembers what the number seven is? Right, not just perfection, God's perfection. And so you have this, this beast that looks like God's perfection and it has complete power. In other words, it's trying to pawn itself off as God. And the only reason that we can tell that it's not God is why? Because of these blasphemous names that are written on its head. Here's a, uh, a picture, uh, sort of an artist's depiction of what this beast sort of looks like according to what John describes it as. All these you know, different animals and, and uh, parts and, and, and things there. In fact, in, in Revelation 13.11, uh, here's how he says it. I now saw, uh, actually, no, let me, let me uh, skip back. No, let me skip back. This is actually just pulling back to uh, the Old Testament book of Daniel. And this represents nations. Each each animal represented a different nation. And so you have this ten horned seven-headed beast, complete power. It looks like God. It has these blasphemous names across its forehead. It's trying to pawn itself off as God, and it represents nations. So here's what I put on your outline there. The beast from the sea represents a godless government. Represents a godless government. Actually, yeah, let me skip back, Evan. Revelation thirteen two it says this beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and the throne and great authority. So Satan gives who his authority? He gives it to the beast. This godless government. All right, now you're going, but which government? Well, we'll get to that in a second. But first, there's a second beast. Now, the first one came from the sea. This one comes from the land. Revelation 13, 11. I now saw another beast. This one came up out of the ground. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Remember the old saying that if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, then it must be a duck. Who have we learned is the lamb? Yeah, that's how John describes Jesus, as a lamb. So this scripture tells us that Here comes this other beast out of the land, and it looks like Jesus, and it walks like Jesus, but it doesn't talk like Jesus. This is not Jesus. He's actually speaking on behalf of Satan. Speaking on behalf of Satan. We'll continue on verses 12 to 14. This beast stands before the first beast and uses the same power that the first beast has. Where did the first beast get his power? From Satan. So he's using the same power. Continuing on. By this power, it makes everyone living on the earth worship the first beast who had the death womb that it was healed. And the second beast does great miracles so that it even makes fire come down from heaven to earth while people were watching. It fools those who live on the earth by the miracles that it has been given the power to do. It does these miracles to serve the first beast. Again, the second beast looks like Jesus. It's performing signs. It's doing miracles and wonders. But it's not Jesus. But yet, this second beast is fooling the people of the earth according to Scripture. So who is the second beast? Put it on your outline this way. The beast from the ground represents false Religions. Now, let me summarize what we've talked about so far today. Satan is in heaven. There's a battle with Michael and the Archangel, or Michael the Archangel, and, and all the angels. Jesus dies on the cross. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, Satan gets thrown out of heaven. He is on the earth. But Satan's weapons have been either destroyed, diminished, or are easily defended against. He's powerless, basically. So what does he do? He gives his power to godless governments and false religions. That is Satan's greatest influence on the earth. Godless governments, false religions. Now, there's been speculation that at the end of time, there will be one world government and one world religion. And that may well be the case. But remember, John isn't talking about what was. He isn't necessarily talking about what's going to be. John always, in the book of Revelation, is talking about what is. What is happening today? He wants to be able to take these words, and we should always be able to apply it. So how do we apply it in 2017? Are there godless governments? Is there false religion today? Yeah. Yeah, let me give you a couple of examples. China. You've got a godless government that's propped up by the false religion of Buddhism. Human rights in China are basically non-existent. The persecution of Christians is horrible. In fact, I, I just read a, a brand new article, just came out this week, just about how bad it is for Christians in China. You know, you freely show up to a church on Sunday mornings. They have to, They have to hide. They have these underground house churches that if you're caught you could be killed for coming to church. So persecution is terrible there in China. And the population there looks to the government to do things for them that they should only be looking to God for. Let me give you another example. India. 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 A godless government propped up by a false religion of Hinduism. Did you know that if you're a Hindu, you're actually discouraged from doing compassion towards other people? And the reason for that is very simple. They believe in this thing called karma. And basically what that means is this, that if you're suffering on the earth, that The reason you're suffering is because you did something in a previous life that was so bad that now you have to suffer for it now. And the only way to make sure that you're better in your next life is to become self-enlightened. Well, self-enlightened has a very important word in it. Self. That it's something you need to be able to do yourself. And so if somebody else comes along and they're compassionate to you, helps you out of your pain, out of your misery, then you didn't become self-enlightened. And so it's said, do not show compassion on people because you're blocking their journey towards self-enlightenment. In fact, if you do show compassion, then since you did harm to this person, guess what? In your next life, now you're going to pay for what you just did. Isn't this crazy? No wonder people are in such misery and pain and suffering in Hindu countries. Because they can't even show compassion to one another. Give you another example. Not this Saturday, but the next Saturday. Myself and four others from here at Exponential will be boarding a plane. We're going to be flying down to Haiti. You know what the national religion of Haiti is? Voodoo. It's a godless government propped up by this false religion of voodoo. Is it any wonder that Haiti is one of the most economically depressed countries in the entire planet? The average person lives on less than $2 a day. A lot of pain. A lot of suffering. Is this making sense? Satan's major influence on the world today. Godless governments propped up by false religion. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the good old U.S. of A. Because the more and more we continue to get away from biblical values, the things of God's word, the more and more our government's going to become godless, if it's not already. (laughs) And the more we're going to see the rise of false religion. In fact, here's an interesting thing for you. Did you know that when censuses are done and stuff and people are checking the box of, you know, are you a Christian, are you a Muslim, are you you know, a Buddhist, are you a Mormon, are you, you know, whatever, did you know the number one box that's checked right now is none? That I have no religious affiliation of any sort. Again, the more we keep rejecting Jesus, the more we keep rejecting his word as a nation, the more our government's going to become godless, and the more we're going to see it's propped up by this false religion. Satan uses the things of this world to advance his agenda. And here in our country, it may be government, it may be Wall Street, it could be Hollywood, you name it. The more our society gets away from Jesus, the more our country is going to fall apart spiritually, economically, emotionally, physically, politically, compassionately, you name it. False religion propped up, or godless governments propped up by false religion. How does that impact the world today? Well, I gave you a little bit of it. But let me show you sort of where we may end up as a country and where I think we already are as a country. So how do these beasts impact us? The first one is this, physical persecution. Godless governments propped up by false religions will bring physical persecution. And I keep saying this to you throughout the series. If you try to use the book of Revelation as a calendar, you're going to end up awfully confused. If you use it, though, as a template of what always happens and how to get through pain, how to get through trials, tribulations, temptation, you name it, then it's going to make a lot of sense. And so here's what we read in Revelation 13:5. The second beast, false religion, gave breath and life to the first beast, godless government. And those who refused to worship the beast were sentenced to die. Persecution of Christians is at an all-time high on our planet. More people died for their faith in Jesus in the 20th century than in all the other centuries combined. Did you hear me? Since the death and resurrection of Jesus, more people died because of their beliefs in Jesus in the 20th century than all the previous 19th centuries combined. Now, thankfully, you were able to come freely to church this morning. Nobody's threatening to kill you because of your beliefs yet. But there are still countries all around this world that people die for their faith every single day. They're persecuted just because they believe in Jesus. You know, you you, you turn on the news You see Christians being kidnapped and and beheaded because of their beliefs. Physical persecution. Again, it's it's pretty extreme in places like China. Pretty extreme in places like the Middle East. And if we're not careful as a country, that's where we're headed. Again, it's it's pretty easy to be a Christian here in the United States, isn't it? But I think that's actually dangerous in some ways because it is easy. You don't have to really sacrifice for your faith in any way. Would you still show up to church every single week if you knew that at any moment people could come in and arrest you or come in and kill you just simply because you're naming the name of Jesus? Is your faith that strong? It should be. It should be. But yet, a lot of people just walk around saying, Well, I'm a Christian. And I showed up to church when I want to. I live the parts of God's word that I want to, and the parts that I don't, I just sort of let that go. So, again, physical persecution. Number two, and this is the one that I think we are at, is the temptation to compromise. Revelation 13. Verses 16 18. It says, The second beast also forced all people, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to have a mark on their right hand or their forehead. No one could buy or sell without this mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This takes wisdom. Let the one who has understanding find the meaning of the number, which is the number of a person. Its number is 666. Six, six. Now for many of you, just even the, the mere mention of that number freaks you out. Because you're like, what, what if I accidentally get the, the mark of the beast? What if I accidentally get branded with 666? And you speculate, on, you know, is, is it going to be like a, a, a barcode? Is it going to be a tattoo? Is it going to be like a, a microchip implant? What, what, you know, what's it going to be? Well, let me say this to you. If you end up with the mark of the beast, 666, it's not going to be by accident. You won't accidentally wake up one day and go, oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) That was really dumb yesterday. You know, I went in, let him put that chip in my hand. Ah, man, now I know. Here's why I say that. Again, last week, Revelation chapter 7, we learned that there are two marks in the book of Revelation. One is the mark, the seal of the Holy Spirit that is given to you at the moment of your salvation. you either will have the seal of the Spirit, the mark of God, or you'll have the other mark, the mark of the beast, 666. Now, what what does this number mean? Well, last week we said that the Jews didn't just count numbers, they did what? They weighed them, that they had spiritual significance to them. So let's do a, a little bit of a recap here. The number seven means what? We talked about this earlier. God's perfection, right? And God is what? God is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is seven, seven, seven. Six is the number of man below God. You have the dragon, you have the beast from the sea, you have the beast from the land. All trying to influence man to do things their way, not God's way. They're trying to convince us to do things six, six, six. The dragon, Satan, the beast from the sea, godless government, the beast from the land, false religions. They're trying to say to you, don't be like God. You become God. You do things your way. So we have a choice. Am I going to do things God's way, 777? Or am I going to do the way of Satan and the beast, 666? To me, 666 is the number of compromise. It's just, we compromise. Instead of taking God's word and God's standard, 777, and trying to live up to that, we compromise and say, I'm going to live a little bit below that. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to live Satan's way. Now, we don't come out and say that. None of us say that. But that's exactly what we end up doing. We end up compromising so often. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know I'm supposed to remain you know, sexually pure. No, that's what God's Word says, but I've got needs, so I'm going to compromise my faith. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know I'm supposed to be ethical in my business, but I'm going to compromise. I'm going to cut a couple corners so I have a better chance of getting that promotion we're getting that raise. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that, you know, we're supposed to be at church on Sundays. And I should be training up my children in the ways of God and, and making sure that they understand the, the importance of God's word and, and the, the importance of his bride, the church. But we're going to compromise because, you know, it's, it's really important that they're in the starting lineup of the team. It's really important that this extracurricular activity gets on their college resume so that they can get into a good school. So we're not going to show up the church because we're going to teach them that the things of the world are more important than the things of God. Oh, yeah, I, I know I'm supposed to always tell the truth, but I'm going to compromise and tell just a, a little white lie here to make myself look good. Again, we end up compromising and compromising and compromising. And that's exactly where our nation's at. We've become a, a country of compromise. And unfortunately, many Christians compromise over and over and over again. And as the, the United States keeps getting away from biblical values, our government's going to become more godless. And the religions, the false religions, will be on the rise. In other words, there's going to come a time if it's not already there that there's more people in the United States that is living with the seal 666 than the seal of God now I do believe that there's going to come a day in time when in the future you won't be able to buy or sell without denouncing your faith in Jesus Again, would would you give up food, clothing, shelter if it meant keeping your faith? Or would you compromise and say, yeah, I don't know that, Jesus, so here, give me my food. Again, there are people currently today on this planet that that's the very choice they make every day. It's a matter of survival. And we're headed down that track down that road and so in the meantime you need to be practicing now while it's still easy don't compromise your faith don't live in fear of Satan and his demons you have the seal of the Holy Spirit on you if you're a follower of Jesus you have the power of God's word in your hands so don't be playing defense against Satan be on the offense every single morning when your alarm clock goes off Satan should go oh man they're awake again Guys, listen, they're awake. They create a lot of problems for us. Keep an eye on that one. See, Satan needs to be afraid of you, not the opposite way around. Let me wrap up this morning with this. Talk to you about insider trading, how it's power. You know, when when you have information, you you have power, and, and power helps to secure your future. Well, when you're trading stocks, and for those of you that do it, you know that the, the key is you want to buy low, sell high. Well, let me let you in on something after I sneeze. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you. <laughs> let me let you in on something. Satan's stock right now is at an all-time high. Don't buy his stock because it's just going to crash. at the end of the book we win and Jesus' stock is at an all time low right now so we need to buy his stock because it's gonna rise so that's why we need to go all in all of our time all of our talents all of our resources all of our money invest everything you have in Jesus' stock because at the end there's great benefits Don't buy the society and and Hollywood and the government and all these false reasons. Don't buy their stock. Buy into Jesus. Buy into Jesus. Because again, in the end, we win. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this day. And, And worship team, you can just stay where you're at. Worship team, just stay where you're at. Father, thank you for uh, this day and thank you for this opportunity we've had to gather together. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, Lord, you would uh, help us to just have demystified this, this whole thing in revelation of who the dragon is and who these beasts are and, and what they're trying to do in our lives. Lord, it's actually pretty clear but we have a choice to make. Are we going to continue to compromise our beliefs and compromise our values? Or are we going to say, no, I'm not going to fall for those lies and schemes of Satan. I'm going to stand strong in my faith. I'm going to live for Jesus every single day, no matter what it costs me, no matter what sacrifice. I'm going to buy in, and I'm going to give my all to him, knowing at the end there will be great rewards. Father, I pray for each and every person here today, that that's the decision that they would make that they would take this insider trading, this information that we've got today, this new power, this new wisdom that we got, and use it to secure their future. Jesus, help every single person make the wise choice. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.